I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, If you have a a pew Bible there, you'll find this on page 1007. Today we begin a new series, a new series on prayer. We're calling it Prayer 101 and we're going to start our series by laying a foundation and making the most important point that we're going to make in the entire series. And this most important point comes from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Let's read verses 19 through to the end of verse 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living curtain that he opened for us through the curtain new and living way sorry that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water this is the word of the Lord let's pray together God, we are grateful for your word and we're grateful for your presence now with us. So come once again and be our teacher, we pray, that we might understand more of your greatness and more of your grace and more of how we ought to live in light of those realities. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Okay, well we're starting this series on prayer and as I sat down to to jump in this week it soon became clear that that prayer is a kind kind of a hard series to do. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. Uh, first of all, it just the reality is that prayer can be a, a strange or perhaps unnatural activity. Uh, but on a very surface level, just the fact that we would stop, you know, close our eyes and talk to something that can't be seen, that's just strange. That's just a little weird. And often the life of faith, as opposed to the life of, life of, of sight, is an, an unnatural thing to us. But it can be strange and unnatural, kind of on a, on a deeper level too. Why? Because really from, from birth, we've learned the rules of, um, of self-reliance as we strain and as we struggle toward a kind of independence. So we as a people, and probably this group of people in this part of the world, get particularly good at making lists and making spreadsheets and checking things off and getting things done and taking names and taking care of the rest and doing things in our own strength, at our own initiative, by our own effort. And prayer really flies in the face of that. Because prayer requires us to stop and to be still. Not to be passive, but to be still. And so I think for a lot of us, prayer just doesn't feel like it accomplishes much. We do better when we have a to-do list that we can attack ourselves. For many of us, prayer can be a strange or unnatural activity. A second reason, though, why this is a hard series for us, and this is particularly true for you if you're a Christian and perhaps if you've been around the church for a while, is that this is just one of those topics that for many believers is just laced with guilt. Our prayer lives are often laced with guilt. You know the importance of prayer. You desire to pray. You just don't pray. Very few of us would hold our hands up and say, my prayer life is awesome. 
my prayer life is the model of what your prayer life should be. In fact, if you want to grow in this area, you should hang out with me for a while. I'll teach you a thing or two, right? Um, yeah, Any, anyone here ready to say that? <laughs> yeah. um, that that's just, it's just not the way it, it is when it comes to this area of our walk with Christ. And so for many of us, it becomes prayer becomes another thing on, on the list of things, the seemingly growing list of things that we just don't really do very well. That seemingly growing list of things that, that we, are, we are failing at in the Christian life. And so it's easy for us to, to sort of tune out and wait till the topic changes. Because, you know, we all have that tendency not to engage with those things that we aren't particularly good at. I mean, this isn't just a spiritual thing. This is why um, I don't play basketball, okay? You call me up, ask me to come play soccer, I will come play soccer. You call me up, ask me to come play basketball, I will not come play basketball. Why? Because we just have a tendency not to engage with things that we're not particularly good at. And so this is true in our spiritual lives with prayer. Prayer is strange, unnatural activity, but it's also laced with guilt for many of us. But while it's a hard topic, friends, it could hardly be more important for us. It could hardly be more important for us. This was really pressed in in my own heart about a month ago. It was March the 9th, according to my journal, when I woke up just wide awake at 4.14 a.m. I looked at the clock. And I was sort of just bummed by that time of day because on that day, it was about an hour before I had to get up anyway. And you know an hour is a really annoying amount of time. Like, you... You want that extra hour of sleep, but you know you're not going to get it, you know? It's not quite the middle of the night, so you're just going to like, ah, frustrated. So lying there, having nothing else to do, I thought, well, I'm going to pray. And isn't that funny, too? It's like, I pray when there's literally nothing else to do, okay? So I pray, and I was praying for myself, and I was praying for my people, you, this church. And I really felt the Lord just pressing into my heart, this desire I have for myself. And as your pastor, I want you to know, my desire for you is, is not that we would know more about God, but that we would know God. Not that we would know more about him, but that we would, would know him. That's where eternal blessing, eternal rest, eternal joy, eternal peace is found in knowing and being known by the God who loves you. And so my goal as your pastor is actually to try and get you to deal with him. You don't need, you don't need to deal with me. You don't even need to deal with like the church in a vague generic sense. That's only of any use to you if they help you deal with God. And so our goal isn't just to know more about God, it's to know God. Not just to deal with each other in the church, but to deal with uh, God himself. And all of this makes prayer crucial because prayer is the place where you get to know God for yourself. Prayer is the place where you will get to know God for yourself. And I'm praying that this series will be used by God to draw us all into a deeper relationship with him. Now, as I said a moment ago, we're going to start the series with the most important point of the entire series. Two implications of this point, and then we're done for the day. Okay, you ready? Here it is. The most important point of the entire series comes to us in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of of Jesus. The most important thing for us to understand, friends, is the connection between prayer and the gospel. The connection between prayer and the gospel. See, it's interesting that 
prayer isn't a distinctively biblical practice. It isn't a distinctively Christian practice. On one hand, prayer is a common feature of, of all religions. Think of the major world religions, whether it be Christianity or Judaism or Islam. Or even think of some of the Eastern religions like Hinduism or Buddhism. There's forms of prayer are practiced in, in all religions. But not just in all religions, prayer is also a fairly just common feature of, of our culture at large. I read some interesting statistics this week uh, that came from research that was done by uh, Ligonier Ministries on the one hand and then actually, strangely, the NBC network on the other. And they found that, you know, three quarters of Americans, 76% of Americans, believe that prayer is powerful enough even to heal someone that is sick. Uh, Two-thirds of Americans, 66% of Americans, believe that God will answer your prayer if you make a specific request of him. More than 50% of Americans, 54% of Americans, uh, say that they pray regularly. So prayer is a feature of religion on the one hand, but also seems to be a a feature of our culture in general. And the result of this um, sort of ubiquity of prayer is that it can lull us, very often lull us, into this sort of um, just sense of taking prayer for granted. Taking prayer for granted. Like, of course, if we're religious, God listens to us because we're following the right religious practices. Or, of course, just on the cultural level, God listens to our prayers because that's just sort of, that sounds like the kind of thing God would do, right? Listen to our prayer. But the Bible actually presents us with a harder reality. A harder reality. The Bible would suggest to us that God hears all prayer, but he doesn't listen to all prayer in the same way. God hears all prayer, but he doesn't listen to all prayer. What do I mean by this? Well, on one sense, God hears all prayer. Why? Because he's all-knowing, and nothing on the scope of the entire earth ever escapes his notice. He is intimately aware of every single detail that ever takes place within his creation. Yes, there's a sense in which he hears it, but there's another sense in which he doesn't listen to it all in the same way. Let me give you an example. This past summer, we were back home in Scotland, and uh, we went to this uh, new park that had been built, this new play park that had been built. Now, I don't know if you've been to Clemjontry just down the road, but it was kind of one of these kinds of parks. There was like slides and roundabouts and seesaws and swings and climbing frames just like everywhere. It was like a child paradise where a five-year-old boy could have the greatest time of his life and also kill himself, right? And on this playground, there was just children everywhere, okay? Children running, hollering, whooping, crying, laughing, spitting, gouging, fighting, biting. You know, it's all the things that kids do. This one kid walked past with one shoe on. I was like, your mom's not going to be happy with you, right? Um, Just children, absolute mayhem. And then amidst it all, I hear a wee girl cry. And it's not any wee girl, it's my wee girl. And I jump up and I run over to the monkey bars from where this cry came. And she's hanging there, okay? But she's six, so her arms are like this, you know? And she's made her way to the other side, but her legs are too wee to actually step off the other side. And so she's caught and she's afraid she's going to fall. And it's great because if she'd fallen, it was about a foot, okay? <laughs> you, know? you know, fall to her death, right? Um, And I grabbed her and I squeezed her and she was fine. 
How is it, parents, how is it that you hear all the cries in the playground, but you listen to the voice of your own? Why? Because you love them. Because they're precious to you. And in the same way, God hears all prayer in that generic sense. He hears all the cries in the playground, but he listens to the voice of his own in, in a special way. He is attentive to the cries of his own, and he responds to the cries of his own. So the question becomes, okay, well, what makes the difference? How do you know whether God just hears your prayers or if he actually listens to them? And the answer is what? The gospel. The gospel. That's what makes the difference. Look at verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places, to come into God's presence. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The only reason that we are able to approach him in prayer That we're able to be in this kind of relationship with him. That we're able to enter his presence is because we come by the blood of Jesus. You see the connection here between prayer and the gospel. Now, I want us to sort of collectively feel the weight of this a little bit. Because you see how this gospel reality, on one hand, is is actually very unmasking. And, And it ought to be, in a sense, very unmasking to us because we're not fooled by the world's religions and we're not fooled by culture to think that we can take prayer for granted that people like us can just go into the presence of the king unashamed like we can just kind of rock up into the presence of of a holy god in and of our own strength and our own merit on our own authority when i was growing up as a wee boy in scotland one of the things we loved to do was go and visit my grandparents um, I grew up in Edinburgh, which is a city, and my grandparents lived about three hours north of where we lived in a part of the world called, called the Black Isle, which is interesting because it is neither black nor an island. Okay? So, <laughs> misleading name, however, the, the soil in that region is so fertile that it gets, it's, it's become known as, as the Black Isle. So it's just the most, the picture of kind of rural beauty. You know, think of the postcard, Scotland postcard. Um, that's what it looks like. Okay? And... We just loved going to my grandparents' house. Uh, us city kids would get there, we'd wake up early and eat breakfast, and then just go until hunger brought us home. And so we'd romp through fields, and we would swing on this great big tree swing that they had. And there was a, an old um, quarry nearby that was now safe for us to explore the nooks and the crannies and the caves and the water. I remember one time walking back <laughs> from that quarry and uh, suddenly we were kind of blindsided and confronted by this, just this enormous big bull. And I said to my grandfather, what do we do? And he said, every man for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and we get back and we take gooseberries and raspberries from the garden and we play outside and it was just a great time. It was also, my grandparents' house was also the place I associate with our, our family gatherings. Uh, they were kind of the patriarchs of the family. And so we'd all be gathered there, aunts and uncles and cousins, and having a, a good, big, family, delightful time. And my grandmother would be taking enormous pans of rice and food out of the oven and feeding one person or another every ten minutes. And then one of my favorite things, probably the favorite thing about that time, was my grandfather himself. I call him Papa. And I've told you about him before. He's, he's still living. He was 
a wild man. And then he became a Christian. And he was a wild man for Jesus. <laughs> became a pastor, started a church in a really rough area of Scotland. It grew to a couple hundred, which is mega church in Scotland terms. Uh, many of whom were alcoholics and, and just the kind of poor rundown of that area. Still to this day, the most charismatic person that I have ever met in the flesh. And uh, probably the best example to me of someone growing up who embodied what it meant to be strong and tender, to be powerful and compassionate. He was the farmer uh, in, earlier in his life, and so he had these you know, disproportionately big, strong farmer's hands. And I remember him scooping me up and putting me in his lap, and just a great relationship with him. One day when I was, I don't know, maybe eight years old or so, I went uh, to his office. He had an office in, in the house, so to his study in the house, uh, just to try to find him and hang out with him, but he, he wasn't there. So I walked in and I sat on his desk, and uh, sitting on his desk was a bucket with some coins and some banknotes in it. And temptation suddenly hit the eight-year-old, and I took this very crisp 10-pound note, put it, put it in my pocket, and left. I was caught within 30 minutes, you know? Like as an eight-year-old, the problem, it wasn't an evil genius, you know? Uh, evil, yes, genius, no, right? Um, so I was like caught very quickly by my mother, right? Um, probably a, a, another powerful example in my life of strength and compassion. And I remember her saying to me, you will go to your grandfather's office right now and you will give this back to him and you will apologize, right? Uh, so back I went to his, to his office. But when I arrived, the door was closed, which meant he was in there. Okay. And I stood there. And I was too ashamed even to knock. I was too ashamed even to knock. And the gospel should have this unmasking impact on us. Where we recognize that our sin has made us unfit for the presence of the God who loves us. Our sin has has erected a barrier between us and between him. And so, of course, we dress up as nice, decent people. But when we're actually confronted with his presence, the bravado ends. When we're actually confronted with his presence, the volume of our conscience is suddenly increased and every excuse is removed and we find ourselves convicted that we're not the people that God has designed us to be. And so if we see clearly by ourselves, we stand outside the door and we don't dare to knock. Don't underestimate the holiness of God and how unfit we are for his presence. And yet this verse, as surely as it unmasks, does it not also affirm? Is that not the nature of the gospel? It unmasks us and yet it also affirms us. Why? Because verse 19 says, since we have what? Confidence. We have confidence. How? By the blood of Jesus. I left that closed door. And I ran up the stairs into my room at their house. And I sat on the bed. And in a child's mind, you know, they would never find me. (laughs) Right? Um, I don't know how long I was there. It felt like a long time. Uh, And I heard footsteps on the stairs. 
And then footsteps that approached my door. And then the door opened, and there was my grandfather. And he, to me, was like that bull. Okay? I was terrified. And he smiled. And he came in, and he scooped me up with his big farmer hands, and he sat me on his lap, and we talked through what happened, and he forgave me. And I was shown a picture, I think we are shown a picture of what the gospel is. That we are ashamed to bring ourselves into his presence. And so he brings his presence to us. He draws us near by his grace, by his kindness, by his strength, by his compassion. Jesus goes to the cross. His blood washes away our sin. He removes every barrier that existed between us. So now we can approach him once more. How? With confidence. And so you see the connection. Are you seeing the connection with me? Prayer and the gospel. Prayer is a gospel reality because we come and can only come by the blood of Jesus. It's only through his worth that we're able to approach our God. And so this is why we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's not an empty phrase. It's not just religious jargon. It's not just like, you know, our exit strategy because we're not sure how to get ourselves out of this prayer. It's, it's, it's a recognition whereby we're saying, God, were it not for Jesus, we would not dare speak your name upon our lips. But because of him... By his blood, in his name, we approach and you listen. Why? Because you've proved by his blood that you love us. You've proved by his blood that we're precious to you. You've proved by his blood that you hear us on the monkey bars. That's why prayer is a gospel reality. A summary of this basic basic point. Biblical prayer, Christian prayer is fundamentally different to the prayer of the world religions or the prayer of our culture because it's gospel prayer. We pray by his blood. God listens to our prayers by his blood. It's the gospel that makes all the difference. And once again, we find that grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. Two implications then of this reality, this reality of of gospel prayer for us this morning. Two practical things, I hope. The first of them is is simply this, that because prayer is, is gospel prayer, for us, prayer then becomes a duty. Prayer for us is a duty. It is a responsibility for us. Yes, we are saved entirely by grace and our prayers don't add to our salvation in the slightest little bit. However, God's love for us, the initiative he takes with us, the grace that he gives us has implications for our lives. And he calls us to live in light of this grace. His grace changes our behavior because we want to live in a way that is consistent with the calling that he has given us in his son. So yes, we can say that it's both of grace and a duty. And for us, prayer is one of these things. Something we can do because of his grace, but also a duty for us, a responsibility for us. See, it's important that we know that prayer is not, you know, it's not an optional aspect of the Christian life. It's not kind of like an add-on or maybe the reserve of the especially holy elites. That's, that's, that's not what prayer is. The Bible presents prayer as a natural activity for every believer. 
Now that's, that's, kind of a, that's actually kind of a big deal in the history of the church. Because the church taught for many years and in some regions still teaches today that we don't all have the same access to God. That your access to God has to come through a pastor. Your access to God has to come through a priest. And we say no. It's gospel prayer. It comes by his blood and and nothing else. And no pastor, no priest can add anything to the access that you've been granted to your father. But here's the point. Because you can pray by the gospel, you should pray by the gospel. Because you can, you ought to. Wouldn't it be strange if after the service, uh, you come out and we greet each other. And you ask me how I'm doing, and I say, I'm doing well. Kids are well. Happy season. Everything good. And you say, oh, how's Rosie doing? How's your wife doing? And I say, I don't know. Um, we really talked this week. And you're like, oh, is she out of town? I'm just like, no, we just don't really talk. It's not really one of those things that we do, you know? <laughs> and you're thinking, what? Like, you don't have to do everything together, but there's a difference between, like, talking and golfing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking something's wrong here. I, and that's not just true of marriage. That's true of any friendship. That's true of, of any relationship. And, of course, if it's true in all of these, it's true with, with God himself. That our prayer lives are very diagnostic of our spiritual health. That if we are in relationship with him, we'll naturally find that we are talking to him. And so if your prayer life is flourishing, it's very likely that your walk with God is flourishing, even if your circumstances are hard. And likewise, if your prayer life is struggling, it's very likely that your walk with God is struggling, even if your circumstances look cheery from the outside. We are are called to, 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 to dialogue with him, talk with him, just like we would in any relationship. Now, The point isn't if you're struggling, feel guilty. Remember what we said earlier? Such an inclination toward guilt in the the Christian life and and with prayer especially. The point isn't to feel guilty. The point is to see what you're missing. Because second, not only is prayer the duty of the Christian, because it's gospel prayer, prayer is also the delight of the Christian. It's the duty, but it's also the delight. It's not just the responsibility, it's the privilege. Because you know, there are lots of things about prayer that are great, okay? First one is, you know, actually, if you pray for things, it changes your circumstances. Like, God, God actually answers your prayers. And someone says, you know, the skeptic says, well, how do you know that's just not coincidence? One English archbishop said, it's amazing how many coincidences start to happen when one begins to pray. I had a great example of this in my own life. Over the last couple of months, uh, a young couple in our church, uh, Haley and Will, were getting married. And Haley had wanted to, to connect with me to ask me if I'd be able to, to do the wedding and kind of walk through that with them. But for one reason or another, we hadn't been able to connect. And she tried to catch me uh, one Sunday morning, but there'd kind of been a line of a thousand people. And she just hadn't really, we, we hadn't been able to, to, to connect. And so she was sharing this with a friend at one Saturday night. And her friend said, oh, we should pray about that. Now it's great, I don't know if you find this, see when someone suggests praying, I always find it a strange and really sensible idea, right? Strange in the sense that just like I wouldn't have thought of that, (laughs) you know? Like, 
I would be given, like, I'll give you a list of things to do in order to fix this problem, right? We have a problem, we'll fix it, okay? That would be my sort of default. It's sensible because, like, pretty much whenever anyone says we should pray, you're kind of like, man, it seems like a good idea. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like a bad idea. So, so, th- so they pray, you know, uh, the Saturday night, Lord, we pray that Haley and James will connect and it might work out for their wedding. Well, turns out, that was the weekend. Uh, Rosie and I were out of town. Took a trip. Got back um, early that Sunday morning. And so, we had this strange uh, sort of setup where we were actually in the area on a Sunday, but not at McLean on a Sunday. Now, you know, (laughs) that has literally happened, I think, once in eight years. For us to be in the area, but not at the church. Uh, that just that never happens because we love being here, so we we can be here. We're here, right? Uh, but for various reasons, we, we worship with a, another group of believers and, and weren't at McLean that Sunday morning. Second strange thing that happened is that after that weekend away, where like we had just eaten like crazy people, okay, um, Sunday lunch rolls around and my wife says, oh, "We should get a salad." And I'm pretty like. <laughs> <laughs> We could go to Five Guys. <laughs> now, one of these ideas is self-evidently better than the other. Okay? And Rosie smiled and said, okay. Now listen, if us being here and not here is once every eight years, Rosie agreeing to go to Five Guys, I think it's once in a lifetime. I'm not sure. I'm living in hope that there'll be a repeat occurrence of this. But, you know, that, this, is a, this is a strange thing. So for Rosie and I to be sitting uh, in Five Guys on a Sunday lunchtime, really strange occurrence, guess who walks in the door? In comes Haley. Are we kids in tow? The night before she prayed, it'd be great if Haley and James could connect. We meet, we connect, we make arrangements, we figure things out. Was that, a, was, was that a coincidence? Friends, it takes a lot of faith to believe that that was a coincidence. Sometimes it takes more faith to disbelieve the power of God than just to accept that he's on the move. So yeah, Prayer is a delightful thing. Changes your circumstances. Love it. Prayer is also a delightful thing, though, because often it doesn't change your circumstances, but it changes us. And this is a very powerful and important point that we're going to reflect on more throughout these series. But you know, it seems like, especially when things are hard, especially when things are, are difficult for us, it's, God doesn't just kind of swoop in and, and take away all our problems, but he works on us in the midst of them so that we suddenly find we have a sense of peace, we even have a sense of power that enables us not just to survive, but even thrive in circumstances that are very difficult for us. And we're going to share dozens of such stories over the next six weeks or so. That God will use prayer to do things in our hearts that make us more equipped to follow him in this life that he's given us. A powerful, powerful thing. But the point for this morning, prayer's the delight not just because he changes our circumstances and not just because he changes us. The best thing about prayer is not what it gives you but who it gives you the best thing about prayer is not what it gives you but but who it gives you imagine after the service you get talking to you know a young couple and you find out that they're newly married and you say to them oh great 
congratulations, you know, how, how's your marriage going? And he says, it's great because I now have an extra income to help pay the mortgage. And she says, yeah, and like he, he cooks dinner three nights a week, that's really helpful. And then he says, yeah, it's great, like I only have to do laundry half as often. You know? You're like, these guys do not work for Hallmark, okay? <laughs> like, give me a little romance, you know? We would find that very strange. Not because, sure, financial stability in marriage, great thing. Uh, shared burden in marriage, glorious thing. But that, that's not the right answer, okay? Men, listen up, that's not the right answer, okay? <laughs> the best thing about marriage isn't what you get, it's who you get. And again, not just true of marriage, true of, true of any relationship. And so it is with God. So it is with our, our great God. The best thing isn't what he gives us, but, but who he gives us. That through the ups and the downs and the ebbs and the flows and the answered prayer and the unanswered prayer and the excitement and the frustration and the encouragement and the discouragement, throughout all of that we find, listen, here's the thing, prayer is the gateway to first-hand knowledge of God. Prayer is the gateway to first-hand personal knowledge of God, a personal experience of God, and nothing compares to that. No gift he could give compares to the gift that he is himself. And so prayer is a delight. Prayer is a delight for us, his children. And in many ways, this takes us back to where we started, with this desire not to know more about God, but to know God. I'm concerned for myself, and I'm concerned for you, that it's so easy for us, especially in this day where we have access to so many materials, to live what we call uh, the vicarious Christian life, living your Christian life through another person. So you can tell me uh, what the latest book said about God. And you can tell me what the latest preacher said about God. And you can tell me you know, the latest fact from this really helpful blog that you've read. But you can't actually tell me how you yourself have experienced God. That we end up living the Christian life through other people, knowing more about him than we know of him ourselves. And prayer has the potential to be the turning point for many of us. The turning point where we start to know just less about him, but know him more. And I'm praying that that's what this series will be. That these next six to seven weeks will be, will be a turning point for many of us. Now, here's the thing. If it's to be that, we need to do more than just show up for the next couple of months. What do we need to do? Pray. <laughs> right? We need to actually pray. And listen, over the next six weeks, we're going to get all into that. Okay, we're going to talk about more about why we should do it. We're going to talk practically about how to do it. We're going to talk about what to do with discouragement in prayer and unanswered prayer. We're going to talk about how to listen to the Spirit as you pray. We're going to talk about how to get in the discipline of, of having a prayer time. But all of that's going to be completely useless unless we actually take the time to pray. And so this week, a very simple ask. Okay, very simple ask. I want you to take every day uh, five minutes more for prayer than you did last week. <laughs> Some of us are thinking, that means I'm going to pray for five minutes a day. <laughs> right? That's okay. Right? 
This isn't about guilt. It's not about shame. It's about getting to know the Lord who loves us. Take five minutes more, whatever your practice is, and do that. And friends, listen. Um, listen to him. When the Spirit nods you, when the Spirit nudges you, when the Spirit reminds you of this five-minute thing, stop and pray. <laughs> listen to his voice. Uh, engage in this discipline. It could be the turning point for a lot of us. Let's pray together just now. Father, prayer can seem strange or unnatural. Um, often does bring up feelings of guilt. Uh, but Lord, we're free this morning. Free because of the connection between prayer and the gospel. Uh, prayer being a, a gospel reality where we don't need to be ashamed to come into your presence because we have a Papa who loves us. And so you have uh, invaded our lives with your strong and tender presence. That by the blood of Jesus we have full access to you. And because of this gospel reality we recognize that the duty of prayer. That it would be strange not to talk to our spouses and it's equally strange not to talk to you. But we also taste something of the delight of prayer. The privilege that it is. Not because of what it gives us but because of who it gives us even more of you. So Lord be with us in these next couple of months and, and create in us a renewed desire a renewed emphasis, a renewed culture of prayer, that we might be a praying congregation to your honor and to your glory. Amen.